0: I've got a picture to show you um, of a young girl. Well, she'll be coming up in just a minute. Here she is. Um, anyone know who this is? Uh, there's always the thought that, you know, somebody might know who she is. Greta? No, it's not Greta. No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, this, is, this is Nadia Sparks. No, nobody knows Nadia Sparks. That's not surprising. Um, uh, she's simply a 12 year old girl from Hellesdon in Norfolk. Um, oh, we've got that up. Yeah. Um, she's been dubbed trash girl by the bullies uh, in her school for envir- her environmentally friendly ways. Uh, but Hellesdon High School pupil Nadia is refusing to let them stop her from protecting the planet. Uh, The 12-year-old girl has been picking up other people's rubbish along her two-mile route to school ever since September last year. She uses the basket of her bike to bring it home and has already collected more than two recycling bins worth of plastic. Despite her good intentions, her green habits have also caught the attention of the local bullies who've nicknamed her trash girl. Other students... Meanwhile, have simply told her to pick up their litter as it's her job. Rather than let the comments get to her, Nadia, who is in year seven at school, says she is refusing to give up on her eco friendly ways. She says, I'm not going to stop doing the right thing because of them, and if they're going to call me trash girl, then they can say it with respect. I'm doing something to protect the world that they also live in. It's everybody's job. We're all responsible for keeping this world safe and clean instead of believing that it's somebody else's job. There has been, as you might expect, an outpouring of support for Nadia on uh, the the local news uh, and the evening news and Facebook pages. One person on a Facebook page uh, uh, Quote said, Nadia, I think you're truly awesome. Own that nickname and don't give it up. The bullies are ignorant and should be ashamed. I wish more people were just like you. For Nadia, the way she walked was to pick up litter, and she has not been swayed from doing it. And friends, it's like this for Christians. We need to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And we need to be confident as we do that. Actually, sometimes we need not to be called trash people, but to be called Jesus people. Wouldn't it be good if we had Facebook comments about our walk with Jesus as Jesus people that said, Simon, I think you're truly awesome. Own that nickname. Don't give it up. Wouldn't that be good? That's the advice I want to give to all children and young people and adults alike as they seek to walk this walk with Jesus. You know, it can be encouraging to be known as a Jesus person. We live in a small village, 420 inhabitants I think there are in our village. And uh, we've lived there now nearly 18 months And I'm not saying that we're called the Jesus people, uh, but they definitely know where we stand. Uh, They know that sometimes we won't pick up the turn up on Sunday morning to do the gardening in the village hall or pick up the litter. Although actually, I have to say, we always do give up Sunday morning service in order to go and pick litter because it's just so satisfying being with other people on the streets picking up the litter. Uh, and they know that, that we won't be there on Sunday mornings often because, actually, we're Christians. Um, I, I was encouraged uh, just recently um, on Shrove, uh, Shrove Tuesday. Shrove, Is it Shrove Tuesday? Yes. Uh, when pancakes are made, anyway. Um, the Baptists aren't very good at these titles, are they? Um, Shrove Tuesday. Pancakes were being made in the local, local parish church, which is not warm and lovely and light like this, but is dark and dingy with no heating and no toilets, it's, it's a dismal place, really. But they do serve pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. And I went along to, to Shrove Tuesday pancake uh, lunch. Um, and um, the, uh, one of the people who was making the pancakes, who is an atheist, self-declared. First thing she declared to me that she was an atheist. It's always good fun having a discussion with an atheist. And uh, she was kneeling in front of the microwave, putting the pancakes in to warm them up. And uh, I walked into the church and I said, gosh... Uh, I said, uh, if I didn't know you, you were not a Christian, I would think you were praying. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the advantage of our position now as, we, as we're Jesus people is that they think that's hugely amusing. They're not offended by it at all. They know what we're saying. They know where we stand. Uh, because, actually, we've got to a place where we are known as the Jesus people, as it were, in the village. So I encourage you uh, to be a Nadia in the world, to go and pick up litter uh, or walk the walk uh, of Jesus in whatever way uh, you, you uh, uh, wish to or are able to walk the walk around because people will look at you and sense that you have something different about you and therefore want uh, to, uh, to, to, walk, to, to walk with you, as it were, in that journey. Uh, I've lost my order of service now. Uh, here it is. That's, that's good. Um let's stand. Um hopefully somebody's going to be reading. Oh, Amen. A few years ago uh now somebody wrote to the Sunday Times etiquette page with the following dilemma. We recently moved house and we want to be friendly with our neighbours. They seem nice people and have invited us to a party. However, I have discovered that it is actually a meeting of their Christian fellowship group. We ought to go to encourage good relations, but don't really want to mix with such people. What should we do? Nick of Godalming. Well, I don't know whether he was Nick of Godalming, but. What have we been doing? over the years, to make people write letters like that to an etiquette page in the national press. I mean, for goodness sake, what sort of a reputation do we as Christians have? Thankfully, the response to the letter means that all is not lost in respect to our reputation and image. The Times uh, Times newspaper's agony aunt or uncle, I'm not sure what it was, responded this way. Don't worry too much. Oh, that's good news. Adding, Christians may be tiresome, but as far as I know, they are not yet a dangerous cult bent on brainwashing new recruits. Oh, well, that's a relief, isn't it? Oh, I'm feeling better. How are we walking in response to this comment about us as Christians? What is it about our walk that makes people seem to think that they can write that sort of letter to the Times or the Mail or the Express or the Sun, for that matter, whatever paper you might want to read? You know, I feel the emotions on on reading this passage from 1 Peter that, that we've been read to this morning have a similar swing of that emotional pendulum as when hearing the response to the question about the neighbours. The Times' response was, don't worry too much. You know, we're all relieved that this is where we stand in the eyes of the press, that, you know, you don't need to worry too much about going to a party with, with your neighbours who are Christians. It's not going to affect you too much. Uh, I have to say that when we first arrived, uh, our first Christmas, we moved in November to the village and we, moved, we, we decided just after Christmas that we hadn't had any of the neighbours in for a drink, so I wrote them a note and said, you know, before Christmas is completely done and dusted and the tree is down, why don't you come round for a drink? Um, And some of them did. (laughs) Not all of them, it has to be said. Um, I think probably we might do a bit better if we did it this year because we've got a bit more known. Uh, But the Times' response was, don't worry too much. You know, it's it's okay. Uh, You can go and and meet with the Christians who live at the corner uh, house in, in the road um and then they say christians may be tiresome uh, and you know the pendulum swings both ways and you know don't worry too much but christians may be tiresome is that how we're viewed in the world you know how are you viewed in the village of Fivehead or wherever else you you live um it hits home as i think as the reality of the situation it's a what I would call an ouch moment. You know, you sort of cringe and think, oh, Crumbs, is that actually how we're, we're thought of? I think my joke uh, with Saran, the, the pancake maker, um, illustrates for me some of the way we need to work with people uh, in our communities. You know, I, I don't want to be seen as a tiresome Christian who's always banging the news about the Bible. I want to be seen as somebody who lives... The way of the Bible walks the walk as well as talks the talk. So when Saran looked up at me, uh, I was delighted to see that she wasn't looking up at me with a vindictive face, but she was looking up at me with with complete hysterics. She thought it was so funny that I'd caught her out kneeling as if in prayer. Um, I've had long, long discussions in the pub with her about her atheistic views. Um, I have to tell you that... that, uh, Atheists are the first people who want to talk about God. Uh, they love it. They love it. So be open to them talking to you about God. Uh, and here in, in 1 Peter is that pendulum swing. We read those wonderful words. Um, we might have a PowerPoint. I've forgotten about that. but We're going? Oh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, how we, well, yes, we, we read those wonderful words um, in 1 Peter that describe the nature of our place in the understanding of the Creator God. We are, it says, a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Uh, in the Old Testament, no king in, I, in Israel served as a priest. Uh, and the one h- king who tried, Uh, to serve as a priest, was judged by God. If you look at 2 Chronicles 26, you'll see the account of Uzziah, um, who was judged by God. But our Lord's heavenly throne is a a throne of grace from which we may obtain faith and all that we need to live and walk uh, in life for him and serve him. Hebrews 4. Verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hold firmly to the faith we we, we, we profess. Walk the faith we profess. Um, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In the Old Testament period, people, God's people had a priesthood. But today, God's people are the priesthood. You and I are the priesthood. We're the ones who are the holy nation. We're the ones who are the people belonging to God. Each individual believer has the privilege of coming into the presence of God. Hebrews 10, says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith and we don't come to God through any person on earth but only through Jesus Christ uh, 1 Timothy 2 for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all men because he is alive in glory we've just celebrated resurrection Sunday because he's alive in glory interceding for us We can all minister as holy priests in the community that we live in. We can all walk as Jesus' people in the communities we live in. It's indeed a great privilege to walk as a priest for the Lord Jesus. And this means that our lives should be lived as though we were priests in the uh, the temple itself. This is the high emotion of a leaf. The pendulum has swung to the glory hallelujah side. This is the do not worry of the agony aunt of the Times newspaper. Enjoy it. It is yours to enjoy. Be confident in it. Don't be shy about it. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Hallelujah. Yeah, I can see you're an English congregation. But then... Just in case we get lost in this hallelujah euphoria about being a royal priesthood, we're brought firmly back to earth. The pendulum swings back, back to a reality that we are living in the world here and now, in those streets, with those difficult neighbours, with that uh, situation around us. We are, as the passage says, foreigners and exiles in this world. We are kingdom people, In a world which is not a kingdom world. It's all well and good, being a people belonging to God. But the reality is that we are only here for a short period. The time is unknown. Time could be short. It's only a phase. And as such, we are foreigners and exiles here in this place of Fivehead or, for me, Langford, Budville. The real time of glory is still yet to come. It's important that as a community, the church doesn't forget this temporariness of who and where we are. And yet, uh, we have a problem. We have a problem. You do it. Thanks. We have a problem. Um, And the problem uh, for us is this, that over the years... The church has become what the Baptist theologian Stanley Harris calls an accommodationist church. By that he means, and I quote, we have become intent on running errands for the world, giving the world less and less to believe. Uh, He goes on extensively in this, but he says that we are do-good people rather than Jesus people. Stanley Harris says that we do this by um, particular errors in the way we do church. He says that we, be, we build bigger and better congregations. You know, uh, we, we have teams of paid staff. I know we don't hear, but churches aim for teams of paid staff. Uh, one of the questions uh, that I often uh, uh, was asked when I was in ministry is, uh, you know you go to go you go to a conference with loads of other pastors or church people around and they say how big is your church you know they're really excited to know how big your church is they're not saying how good is the spiritual growth in your church i ca- i got a really good answer to that question how big is your church i used to say, oh well it's between 5 and 600 oh, between 5 and 600 i said yeah it's 40 people that is between 5 and 600 <laughs> Um, but they, they, of course, got ex- exceedingly excited about the fact that they thought that I was the super pastor of a super church that had loads of staff. You know, the Saddleback style of church. Now, I'm not den- denying the fact that Saddleback and the large churches in America, and in this country as well, do amazing work. You know, I have a son who's, who's gone to a church that within a year has grown from naught to th- about 250 on a Sunday morning. This is good stuff. I'm delighted to to see that going on. But Stanley Harris says that actually uh, the error is that that's our aim. That's entirely our aim. We've lost touch with being the walkers of Jesus. He says also that we confirm people's self-esteem. He's especially talking about worship here. I was speaking to Laurie just briefly beforehand about uh, one of the songs we've already sung. Uh, And, you know, so many of the songs that are sung today... Uh, 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 and uh, some of the styles of worship that we see around today give people a good fuzzy feeling inside to the exclusion sometimes of the glory of the God who we have come to worship. And again, you know, I, I don't want to be too negative about it. I love to go to worship where it makes me feel good and where I come away feeling really warm and fuzzy about it. But actually, worship is about glorifying God. He says also that... Uh, that church has, has moved towards enabling people to adjust to their anxieties brought on by their materialism. He's talking about pastoral care here. He says sometimes we intervene in people's lives in an intrusive way, making help the issue rather than the, just walking alongside as the issue. We want to fix their problems rather than to walk alongside them until they discover that Jesus can fix their problems. Uh, and he also says that, that uh, we, we've uh, had an error of making Christ a worthy subject for poetic reflection. He's talking about the preaching here. And uh, I recognize that as I'm a preacher, I, uh, and I believe in preaching as a relevant pattern even for today, but I would say that, that sometimes preaching, when I listen to it on Radio 4, sometimes is a poetic reflection. It's beautiful. It's well-crafted but actually it misses something of the Holy Spirit pouring out the truth of God into people's hearts and souls. And that's, that's what I long for when I preach, is that people will be touched by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, Stanley Harris goes on to challenge us. He says, at every turn, the church must ask itself, and I would say that to every church that I, uh, I'm involved in in any way, does it make any difference to our li- in our life together in what we do, that in Jesus Christ, God is reconciling the world to itself. Does it make any difference that we actually acknowledge Jesus as Lord? Does it make any difference that we think that Jesus came to take the sin of man on his shoulders on the cross? Or are we more like a social club? So much modern theological thinking uh, and evangelical thinking has been about the ways in which we can persuade people that God exists. I, I have to say, I think Alpha is a bit like that. You know, we run Alpha because we think, if we run Alpha, we'll persuade them that God exists. Hence, Nick's concern about going to a party with, ab- uh, with neighbours who were open about their faith. What were they going to try and do to convince him that God exists? I mean, were they going to put him on the stocks until he has submitted to the only option? Were they going to tie him down and use the thumbscrews? Or perhaps it was going to be, you're not leaving this house until you declare that God exists, measure. As we walk the walk, people will see that we are Jesus' people. As Nadia walks the walk to protect the planet... People think that she's the trash girl. Karl Barth, in his huge volume uh, of church dogmatics, wrote that the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and contradicts it in a way which is full of promise. I love that sentence. The church is to be a new sign. We are to walk in a way which is who is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and contradicts the world in a way which is not just a different way, but is a way which is full of promise, the promise of the hope of salvation. And this is what this text calls us to do today. And why it is so relevant to why we should struggle away at doing church to gay in a different way, at walking the walk as well as talking the talk. 200 years ago, uh, William Wilberforce and his friends set themselves up in a way which was radically dissimilar to the world's own manner, from which there was great promise. The promise, of course, was that they were going to release people from slavery. And they stood by the way they wanted to to show the difference to the world. The text uh, that we've read says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, or as Stanley Harris would say, as aliens and strangers, for that is what we are in this world, to live such good lives among the pagans. I don't go around the village calling them pagans, although sometimes I think they are. But the call of the church is not to help people but to be that sort of lighthouse community, giving direction and manner of living that steers them towards Jesus, not onto the rocks of destruction. Our call is to live such good lives among the pagans. As a result of that, we may come to be helpers of people. But the first call is to operate in such a way that sees us as a group of people that do things differently. A new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner. Now for the church set in the community, whether that be a town or a a village community, this provides a formidable challenge as to how we live. Because it challenges how we operate in our lives. My, my wife hates the word operate, even though she's a nurse. But it, it challenges us to how we, we live our lives. It challenges us as to how we deal with a neighbour who will not cut the trees down that are overshadowing our garden. It challenges us with how we deal with conflict. It challenges us with how we speak to people. In the pub, in the shop, on the street, how we speak to the person whose dog has done what dogs do and they haven't cleared up, along the path that we walk every day and I clear up for them. It challenges as to how we use our wealth. Where we give, how we give, do we give? It challenges us to how we manage family life. It challenges us to how we treat young people and the children amongst us in the community. And how we treat the older generation amongst us in the community. It challenges us to how we do our politics what a subject at this time. It challenges us as to how we love one another. The first commandment is this you know it, how we love one another. It challenges us as to how we live such good lives. Amongst the pagans. And and friends, this is not easy. They will slander, they will criticize, they will complain. But as they do this, the unsaved world watches us as we walk. So, as Paul uh, says to Timothy, young Timothy, In 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You walk the walk, you'll be saving people. Because they will look on and say, what is it that this community of Christ has about it? that is different, radically different, to the world that is around us. Using and paraphrases 1 Peter 2, uh, and it's coming up uh, like this in the message. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cosy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in this celebration when he arrives. I pray, as I regularly pray for you as a church, that you will know God's blessing as you seek to live lives as foreigners and exiles, as aliens and strangers in the world and in Fivehead itself and as you do so to live a new sign of the glory yet to come my question from the beginning still remains how are you walking how and i how am i walking in this world